Hey friends, I hope you're doing well today. Uh, there's not a lot of things that I'm more uncomfortable, that make me more uncomfortable than talking head videos, especially when it's of me. So uh, I apologize for that. Um, but desperate times call for desperate measures. Uh, we really wanted to um, just be able to continue to pastor, uh, continue to shepherd us as a church uh, in our sort of response to and processing through uh, this very weird situation. Um, it's one of the reasons we postponed our sermon series was just to kind of let that be what it was. And then now we can respond uh, specifically to the things that God is calling us to respond to as we walk through this really unique season. So I hope you've had time to gather with at least your family, if not your community group uh, on Zoom or in very small uh, physical groups to walk through the liturgy that Lem and I uh, provided, and we'll be providing that every week uh, as we go forward through this. Um, we really feel like that's the best way uh, to, to kind of help us actually engage with worship um, and why we're avoiding a live stream just because of the passiveness of, of watching that rather than engaging uh, with the liturgy yourself. So, um, <clears throat> so in all, all that to say, I hope you've enjoyed uh, walking through the liturgy so far, this is kind of fits right into the sermon component. It's more of a devotional uh, than a sermon, and the format will kind of change and morph and evolve as we go through this and see what the most uh, what's most needed. But I wanted to uh, today for our kind of devo just piggyback on on what we sent last week, which was uh, if you read through it was from the Heidelberg Catechism, and. Um, most of you are familiar with catechism in general, this kind of question and answer format, the, the Heidelberg being uh, probably one of my favorite catechisms in the sense of, of just uh, holistically uh, talking about all the things that we need in order to be faithful believers, not just intellectual things, uh, not just uh, spiritual things, not just action things, but kind of this holistic picture of what it means to be a Christian. And the first question in that catechism is fantastic. Um, and it's used by Tim Keller in the in the newer version called the New City Catechism, which was put out a few years ago. And we use the kids version with our kids, where the first question just says, what is your only hope in life and death? And the answer quite simply is that we are not our own, but belong to God. And to which Teddy always yells, and Jesus at the end of that. But the whole answer here it is, what is our only hope in life and death? And it says this, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him? It's a great, great question and answer. And it really is the place to start in confusion, disorientating circumstances, suffering, sort of unknowns, which is why we, why I kind of sent it last week in the middle of this, like, whoa, whoa, all of a sudden we have this very new normal. What are we going to do? What does this mean? What are the, all, all these questions? This is the place that we go, that our hope in life and death is, is with Christ. The problem with that is that it can quickly become a platitude. And you know what a platitude is? Something you say over and over and just kind of, it loses its meaning. It's like, yeah, it's, it's going to be okay because of 
Jesus. Uh, and you know that's the right Sunday school answer, but but what does that mean? Uh, what is? How do we actually apply that? So we start there with the reality that our hope must be in Christ. That the most realizing that the most common uh, command in Scripture is "Do not be afraid," and so we uh, we say that to ourselves in the midst of a situation where being afraid is sort of the the standard response. Um, to say, "Do not be afraid." Our hope in life and in death is in Christ, who has saved us. But the next question in the Heidelberg Catechism asks this question, and it says, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? In other words, that, that comfort is true, but how do you actually experience it? If that's, if that's true, how do I actually live right now in the joy and the comfort of that reality? Um, and I think the word know here can be deceptive or not deceptive, but um, misleading because we think so much in terms of intellectually knowing things. But the idea of knowing, you know, bi- biblical biblical knowing uh, in the Old Testament, the word know can mean I, I know of someone, I've heard of them, I, I, I know this information. Or it can know that Adam knew his wife. Uh, or it can mean Adam knew his wife. It's, it's the most intimate kind of knowing. It's this relational, uh, experiential knowledge. And that's what the Heidelberg is asking. How do I actually, how do we actually live in the joy and comfort of Christ, of of the gospel? How, how does that actually get into our lives so that when these kind of things happen, now that I'm cooped up as the, what I say in my email, the, uh, the warden of a toddler prison, and now that I don't have as many hours at work, now that I'm lonelier, now that now that all these things are true, how do I actually live in the joy and comfort of the reality that that all things are working together for my salvation? And the Heidelberg question is, uh, how do I live in the joy and comfort in the in life and death? And the answer that it gives is three things. One, here's the first one. The first thing is, I must know. What do I need to know? I need to know how great my sin and misery are. (laughs) It's an interesting place to start. Um, How do we know comfort? We have to know misery first. And in a situation like this, we are witnessing firsthand how deeply broken the world is. It's not just the virus. The virus is up to 300,000 people infected around the world and thousands of people have died. We, we see that brokenness, but then we see the, the sort of domino brokenness, right? We see this government response that feels broken and confused. You, you have this blame, blame shifting happening between countries. You have uh, just confusion, uh, leaders blaming one another. Uh, and then you have just the general a panic response, uh, the, the, the hoarding that happens. I was at Kroger yesterday, or not Kroger, we don't have Kroger. Uh, I was at uh, Publix yesterday and they had ground beef. They'd put some out in a little sign on there. It says, you can have two of these because of the demand. And the lady next to me like takes her arm and like swipes the whole shelf into her cart. Um, she has like 10 ground beef packages off the shelf when there's only 20 there. Like that's brokenness. That's hoarding. That's selfishness. That's not seeing the the needs of others and not, not, not having a hope or a trust, but living uh, in in broken in brokenness, um, and so we see this the fear and the and the panic um, on one side, and then the other side you you see this the the, the articles um, about these 
people just going to the beach, just kind of being together, ignoring everything as if there's no problem at all. I'm not sick. I'm not going to get sick. I'm fine. Therefore, I don't need to care about this. And so these two responses are like this callous uncaringness is a brokenness, is a sin, is sinful. And this, uh, this fear and panic and hoarding and selfishness is also is also sinful. And so in the midst of this of a of a brokenness that we're all being confronted with, hey, the world is broken. There is a pandemic. Uh we we see a wide range of broken responses from people and systems and governments and authorities. And it's very uh it's very disconcerting. It, it just it it crunches us against the misery and brokenness uh in the world. But for most of us that the actual virus itself, and maybe even the government response to some degree, is like it's out there. It's not in here. And as we go through the next four, five, six, eight, ten, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-five weeks of this, the in in various ways, the brokenness that is out there is going to come in here. It's going to put pressure on us as we are cooped up with our families, as we are working in different environments, um, as we are relationally uh, lonely and broken we're gonna we're gonna begin to and over time feel more and more the pressure of the out there brokenness coming in and pressing on to my own brokenness my, my sinful response to this maybe i have a more the more callous response of i i'm fine I, this isn't a big deal i don't care or maybe i have the the panic this the self uh, i've been calling it the self-protective impulse <laughs> um and there, there's there's all these ways in which this external misery and brokenness is going to come in and, and start to bubble up in our hearts or at least press on areas where we have sin in our heart that's going to make it come out of us. Uh, things that in a normal everyday life, you're not going to see your brokenness maybe as much. But now, <laughs> uh, misery outside leads to helping us see misery inside, brokenness inside. Calvin actually says this at the very beginning of his institutes. He says that the, the true knowledge is the true knowledge of God and the true knowledge of self. That we can't know the gospel, we can't know God without knowing ourselves well as as well. And so as we experience misery outside, we're going to begin to experience more and more misery inside, the brokenness that is inside of us. Um, and just to, just to point out some of those things, to to poke on them. I've mentioned a few of them already, but uh, the, the two primary responses that I see is this, is the anxiety and fear, uh, which maybe you don't feel fearful or you don't feel anxious. Maybe you do, but maybe you don't. More so for us, I think the issue on this side of things is going to be the self-protective impulse. That, that, and the danger here is that it masquerades as love. Right, we've seen articles all over the place that the most loving thing you can do right now is go in your own house and stay away from people, and and what that does, and that's not that's not wrong, that's true, but what that does is it allows us to bask in our own selfishness, to bask in our own self protectiveness, and call it love. Right, that's such, such it's such irony that this. Um, oh, I'm, I'm going to love my neighbors by not doing anything for them because that's the most loving thing. And so it's, it's this weird dynamic of selfish, self-protective impulse that's actually masquerading uh, as love. And so while the most loving thing we can do in one lane is to, to, to follow the directives of being socially distant, that should not lead us to being selfish with our goods, to hoarding, 
to, um, to being fearful enough that we don't talk to our neighbors, that we don't approach them, that we don't ask them, that we don't lean in to finding out ways that we can serve and love and be, be connected to them. Um, but the other side is that, uh, some of us lean more towards this nonchalant, uh, sort of coldness, not realizing that this really is a dangerous situation, that people are suffering, that families are suffering, that more people are going to suffer. Say, well, it hasn't touched me. It hasn't come here. So I don't, I don't need to worry about it. And and we see sort of a lack of concern, a lack of love. Um, Both of these responses are lack of love for God and lack of love for neighbor. And we're going to see those bubble up. They're going to come out in, in different ways for you or for me over the next eight weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks. They're going to come out as relational difficulties. If you feel frustrated or angry at someone in your family, you should say, why am I acting like that? Um, am I fearful? <laughs> is there anxiety? Is there selfishness that's now bubbling out as a relational problem, as, a, as an anger at someone else? Um, am I frustrated at small things? Like, d- don't ignore these signs, these, these outward flowing things that, that are revealing what's going on in our heart in this response to this outside misery that's then pointing out our internal misery and causing this chaos uh, inside of us. But then there's also uh, the distracted response, just escaping into Netflix, escaping into not thinking about it. It's the, I don't want to read the news, so I'm just not going to read this because I don't want to hear about it because it's going to make me fearful. We, do, we, we shouldn't, we can't just kind of pretend like this isn't happening. Um, but but being able to lean in and, and understand what's happening and care, um, being, being aware and well-informed in order so that we can love our neighbors and our families well. Um, you may find yourself fixated on the government response. Maybe it's the economic side of things. Maybe it's the political side of things. Maybe it's the election side of things. There's all kinds of things that are happening out there that we can get fixated on. And so there's, there's these, there's these ditches on either side. There's the runaway and hide ditch. That's unloving. There's the, um, there's a sort of obsessive uh, paying attention to it in a way that's unhealthy. And, and both both sides of these things um, are going to come up and bubble out in different ways for you. Um, and they are rooted in selfishness, ultimately, lack of love for our neighbor and lack of love for God. Um, the beauty of the Heidelberg Catechism here is that we have to actually look those things in the face and call them what they are and admit that they're part of our response before we can experience the joy and the comfort of the gospel. Okay, it's easy for us to just want to say, don't be afraid and expect that to just fix it and make it better. It, that doesn't, that's not how it works. We have to go into our own hearts and dig out those responses and motivations and figure out why am I feeling like this? Why am I reacting like this? Why am I experiencing this uh, situation the way that I am? Or maybe it's even just how am I experiencing it? Uh, we can just coast along and not even realize how we're processing or thinking or responding, but to actually be engaged actively with analyzing and understanding and confessing our sin to God. And that's the first thing. The first thing that we need to know is our own sin and misery. So if you don't start there, this is why we do confession every week. This is why confession is in every part of the liturgy. Um, because 
unless we understand our own sin and misery, we will not experience the joy and comfort of the gospel. The second answer to what we need to know in order to experience the joy and comfort of the gospel is the gospel itself. And the creed or the, the confession says this says, I need to know how I am set free from my sin and misery. So knowing and experiencing and acknowledging and facing up to our sin, our brokenness, the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of other people, as we as we confront that, then we realize we're in bondage to it. And we need to know how to be set free. And the and the answer to how to be set free is the creed. It is the gospel story. It's the story of Jesus of a relational and personal God who exists, who enters into our world, who comes down to us, reaches us where we are in bondage, <laughs> and then engages with us in a way that that conquers that slavery and that bondage. Hebrews, we're going to look a lot at this when we get into those parts of the creed, but Hebrews says this in chapter 2, Since therefore the children, that's us, since therefore humans uh, share in flesh and blood. We all have flesh and blood. We are maybe more aware of that than ever before in the midst of a pandemic where our life and flesh and blood are being threatened. Since we have flesh and blood, Jesus himself also partook of these same things, that through death he might destroy the one that has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's what we see when we look around. <laughs> lifelong slavery from fear of death. So much of our response, whether it's, a, it's an, an ignoring response, whether it's a fearful response, whether it's a hoarding response, is all driven by this fear of death. We're enslaved to the fear of death. And the gospel says we don't have to be afraid of death. It's not saying it's going to be fine. It might not be fine. You might die, but you don't have to be afraid of that death because you're free from the sin and misery. And as we live into and in the midst of the sin and misery of this particular situation of a pandemic that threatens um, our political system and our financial system and our health system and our just the stability of our entire society is at threat is at risk right now because of this situation, which is all the things that we think we need for life and happiness. And the gospel says, I have overcome that so that even though you die, you live. <laughs> that is the only way, knowing both the misery and that freedom that comes from the story of what Christ has accomplished, allows us to experience right now in the middle of a pandemic, comfort and joy. The final thing that the catechism says we need to know is how we are to give thanks to God for such deliverance. The entire Christian life is ultimately about giving thanks to God, <laughs> giving back to God the life that he gave to us. And we do that by thanksgiving, um, by being grateful and thankful, not just by speaking it, which is good. We do that as we worship. We do that as we pray. We, we give thanks to God, but ultimately our entire life is an act of thanksgiving. It's to return to God what he's given us. So as we receive, as we con confront our sin and misery, understanding the freedom of the gospel in the midst of that, we now have this response of thanksgiving to God and it overflows to our neighbors, to ourselves, to our families, to one another. Instead of being afraid, we can be fearless 
Not saying that those things aren't worth being afraid of, but simply not experiencing the fear of it because we're experiencing the comfort of the gospel. So spend some time today. Um, Take the opportunity of Sunday being with your community group, being with your family, um, being stuck at home with nothing else to do. (laughs) Uh, Get out a journal. I'm not good at journaling. I wish I was better. Maybe get out a journal and write it down. Or maybe just talk to your spouse or call a friend. Get on Zoom, talk to your community group. Just admit what's going on inside of you. Um, Be it fear, be it frustration, be it anger. What, What is... What is seeping out? What behaviors are you seeing seeping out? And how is that how are how is that revealing what's going on inside of your heart as a response to this incredible event, um, this sort of world history shaping event? How are you responding to it? And what does that reveal about you inside? And then how how is that leading you to the story of Jesus? How can the story of what Jesus has done Um, taking on our flesh, (laughs) engaging in his own flesh and blood struggles. There's plenty of sickness and epidemics during the time of Jesus without medicine. That's why he needed to heal so many people. He experienced this. He knows what it is. He knows what it means to be sick, to be scared of being sick, um, to sort of confront death in sort of this, the way that we are right now. Um, So think about it. Think about what's going on inside of you. Think about how you're bringing the gospel content to that intentionally. Um, And then how is that overflowing in thanks? How are you giving thanks to God in the midst of this? What are you giving thanks for? Um, And maybe it's simply just for the thread of comfort that you have (laughs) um, in the midst of toddlers and loneliness and working at home and all the things that we're dealing with right now. So... Go write it down, talk about it, think about it, pray about it. Um, Don't waste the opportunity that we're being given right now to to connect deeply with the reality of the gospel in the midst of a broken world. That's all I have for today. We will figure out what's next when it's next. And uh, 